0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Goliver. What's up, man? Not too
1: much, Andrew.
0: Look, I've got some bad news, man. There is a
1: lot of pressure on us this week. We have to have a (laughs) really, really good week of podcasts. Okay, why? I don't know if you heard, but This American Life, the NPR podcast, had a 70-minute episode about basketball this week. It was called chip in my brain now normally a basketball episode on NPR that's not that big of a deal they do talk sports every once in a while you know they talk about equality school segregation opera culture all their other topics occasionally they like to dabble in sports Andrew right but this wasn't their typical fare for like the wheeling around in the Honda minivan on the weekend consumer they were coming right at our demographic heart. (laughs) They were trying to steal the open floor globe. Was it an argument about the
0: Rosen or something?
1: Not quite, but you're getting there because on this episode, which was brilliantly done by David Kestenbaum, here's what they talked about. Uh Basketball, the Illuminati, brainwashing, (laughs) the the coming apocalypse, warlocks, video games, the G League, RFID chips, which can be implanted as a unit of mind control. And just as an aside, Andrew, I think we probably haven't touched on that enough, just the two of us. We may need to double back on that one at some point. They discussed how to develop uh, a handle Traveling to London, Signs of the Beast. I was like forty-five minutes deep in this episode, just shouting out loud to myself. If Kessabah mentions Legos or peanut butter tacos, I'm taking my AirPods out. I'm throwing them into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> this is way too much.
0: So, wait a second. Wait a second. Was was yes. Kyrie Irving involved in this podcast? Because we really just hit like the Kyrie checklist. There, it's not that those aren't our topics. Those are those topics belong to Kyrie.
1: Well, I would argue that we've kind of co-opted many of those topics into our (laughs) own little coffee shop uh, over here. But regardless, Open Floor Globe, check out that podcast after you listen to our podcast today. It was absolutely hilarious. But more importantly, Andrew, we are here to hold down our corners this week. And I have good news for you. The NBA on MLK was better than Christmas. We had a pretty solid Christmas year uh, this year. The NBA on MLK was completely nuts. So much drama. There was revenge, high-level basketball, big-time showdown. You could argue maybe even a slight changing of the guard between KD and LeBron potentially in that game. Then there was a locker room whodunit mystery. We just... There's so much we can get into that I'm not even afraid of uh, of NPR anymore. I'm ready to stand down and, and hold this down.
0: Good. I think we should get into it. Just to, to piggyback on your Christmas comparison, I think after Christmas this year, and maybe after Christmas last year, we came on the podcast and talked about how to fix NBA Christmas. And I think this year's MLK games made it clear that the answer is more fights. So during the game... After the game, just more drama. Everybody take it up a notch and uh, nobody will be disappointed. Um, So let's start with clearly the biggest story from MLK Day. Um, And by the way, it feels kind of wrong to tie any of this to Martin Luther King's legacy. But here we are. Well, uh, so, the, be- the best
1: part about that, though, was Doc Rivers just kind of sheepishly saying, hey, you know, we were we were here to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. That's why we stayed in our <laughs> locker room. It's like, Doc, yeah, we all saw that awkwardness, that, that storyline developing. We were going to try to avoid it. Well, we're glad Doc mentioned it, and we're certainly glad you mentioned it, too.
0: Yes. So Andre asks, uh, can you guys please talk about the brawl between the Clippers and Rockets? What does that episode say about previous locker room issues between CP3 and Clippers players? I will start and say that for the last year or two, I always thought that story was a little bit overblown, and I definitely don't think that anymore. (laughs) Uh, Because even watching them during the game, during that fourth quarter when things started to get chippy, it's clear that Blake and CP3 really do not like each other, and that was fun, too. I mean, like, it, it's fun to have, like, big stars who openly loathe one another. Uh, and then it got even crazier afterwards. So what's your takeaway from, from everything that happened with Clips Rockets?
1: Well, a couple things on the CP relationship. First of all, I always went to the numbers and the numbers said their chemistry was amazing, right? Like they might have that personality conflict, but on the court, these guys are putting up like warriors, like offensive numbers, uh, and it's sustaining that over multiple seasons. So I was kind of always willing to, to look the other way. But there was one incident very early after I moved uh, to LA in 2015 where I was working on a story and it wasn't anybody on the team side and it wasn't either one of the players, but it was someone sort of involved in kind of helping me put the story together. And I got the warning right up front. Hey, don't ask Blake about Chris. Just no Chris questions. And really? that is very that is very unusual uh, in the NBA when you're talking about guys who have been together for that long. Uh, guys who have had a lot of success together. I mean, Andrew, imagine you're doing the the John Stockton profile in 1997, and they're like, "Hey, no mailman questions, okay? We can't. We can, <laughs> exactly. We we, we can't well, ask about Carl today.
0: It's not only that; it's th- that's sort of like a layup answer for some for a teammate. You know, like everybody. I think there are a lot of teammates around the league who don't like each other as much as they sometimes appear to like each other. But they, there's, just, there's a lot of generic praise going back and forth between like high-profile teammates around the league. So I would think that just sort of as a reflex, Blake would have a couple canned answers in there about CP3's hoops IQ and how he pushes them and everything else. So I, that's wild to me.
1: A hundred percent. And I think it was mostly about trying to steer it away from whose team is it. Let's not have this yeah. whole alpha dog thing or, you know, the free agency speculation, which sometimes, you know, you'll have people say that. But that one, you know, kind of caught me off guard right off the top, uh, you know, early uh, in my time down here in L.A. Uh, the other thing I'd say, uh, Blake has always felt aggrieved about the way he gets beat up during games. I mean, he thinks yeah. he's Shaq, part part two. And when you're watching his tights being ripped off his body and the coach, like, you know, he's bumping into D'Antoni at one point, maybe intentionally, maybe not. Uh, You have just all this drama going on the court. Blake is a very funny, kind of mild-mannered, flat-affect type of person off the court. Uh, He can see red red really quick, you know, and I think he got to that point in that game, and that is sort of what took it to the next level, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Blake thing is interesting because... There's no question that he is targeted by guys more so than other superstars in his position, and uh, but I think part of that is because he makes himself a target because he's constantly whining, and then just the way he plays, he throws his body all over the floor like as a rule, and so he's he's naturally creating more contact. But then I do think that like if you look over the last six or seven years a lot of guys feel like they can just take shots at Blake Griffin and they'll get away with it, which is not how it works with someone like Draymond, for instance. Or like if you go back, like Amari Stoudemire's prime, people weren't taking shots at him the way they do with Blake. And so I kind of understand it, but at the same time, I understand other players who look at him on the court and be like, God, I'm sick of this dude.
1: Yeah, I hear you. One thing I'd say in terms of Blake versus D'Antoni, if it's a player versus a coach type of situation throughout NBA history, like 99 times out of 100, I'm going to side with the player. You know how people always say, No one's there to watch the referees. No one's there to watch the coaches on the court. You know, no one was there to watch Jeff Van Gundy hanging off somebody's leg and that famous thing back in the nineties. And there was a a scrum recently, uh, you know, I I believe between Dwayne Casey and Mike Bootenholzer, where Casey got really upset because Bootenholzer was talking to one of his players and there may have even been some contact involved and they had to kind of squash that after the fact with like, you know, a professional coach to coach phone call or, or whatever I'm totally on team Casey on that side. Hey, like leave the coaching to your own team and don't interfere in the a- actual action. So uh, I was kind of, I guess uh, that's a long way of saying I was sort of with the Clippers in terms of how things went down on the court, just because, you know, Blake was the one who was getting stripped nude and Dan Tony shouldn't have
0: been on the court. Well, wait, we're burying the lead though, because on the court is completely secondary. To everything that happened afterwards, and now I, I like, I'm sure a lot of people, I, I don't sleep well at night. So generally, as I'm trying to fall asleep, I'll find myself like checking Twitter every 15 minutes compulsively, and <laughs> it's pretty bad. But I checked it at like 1:15 a.m., and that that was right around when the first Woj tweet came in. So. I don't know. There are a lot of layers to what the fuck the Rockets were doing afterwards. But my question right off the top is, like, what was the plan, do you think? Because I can't I can't imagine that CP3 and Harden and Trevor Ariza and Gerald Green were going in there to actually fight. So why do you think they went in there?
1: Well, I think shouting has a, a a oversized importance for NBA players in their lives. I think they get so competitive. I've been reading this Michael Jordan book called The Life, and it just talks about how he would just, you know, essentially verbally taunt his teammates, his coaches, even his GM. He used to make uh, like cow noises when uh, Jerry Krause would come into the locker room as a way of mocking him. Uh, yeah. It's sort of just like this way of establishing dominance, right? I've been in a situation like that with a top 10 player in the NBA right now where, uh, we were on a phone call and the dude was just lighting me up for like 10 or 15 minutes and he was testing me, 100% testing me. And if what? I didn't like at, at some point like yell back at him, uh, you wow, know, it, it was we weren't going to go anywhere. Top
0: 100 to, to take some guesses here at who this is.
1: Yeah, and it was just one of those situations where, he was yelling to prove a point. If he didn't want to talk to me, he could have hung up the phone, right? So as soon as Mm -hmm. I started yelling back, it was like, oh, okay, I I can actually trust this person. This honestly goes back a little bit to the refereeing things that we're having. uh, You know, this debate in the games as well, where players are just constantly yelling at refs. The refs are told not to respond. They just do the quiet technicals. And the players don't respect that quiet technical. They just think like those guys are punks, basically. The players, I think if they had their druthers, would rather just get into a yelling match with the referee on the court. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, everybody would move on. And it really does put the referees in a tough spot. But back to what I think would have happened in the uh, locker room. I mean, I think there would have been, you know, a solid two or three minutes of screaming Everyone would realize that they're all millionaires, that life is going to move on, the game is over, and it would have gone forward. And that's why my big takeaway from the post-game stuff, it really centered around Chris Paul's post-game interview. To me, that was the (laughs) portrait of an artist as a sore loser, Period. It was just terrible. I mean, you listen to things that he's saying. He's getting chippy uh, with one of the female reporters. He's using the Harden absence as an excuse. He is yeah. basically blowing off his homecoming reception from the Clippers fans, who he had made such a big deal about, you know, going home to play in front of, uh, you know, in, in previous times, uh, and you know, throughout his his Clippers tenure. This guy has a very carefully crafted uh, image, and I thought so much of what he did in that post game interview, ran counter to it, highlighted uh, above all, after years of trying to play down this stuff with Blake, is just throwing clear shade at Blake over, <laughs> hey, this is now Lou Williams' team. He's such an amazing scorer. He's the one who's really doing it. And yeah, that is factually true, right? But Chris yeah. is smart enough to know what he's doing when he's saying that. That's the the ultimate subliminal diss, uh, you know, towards Blake. And to me, it's just take your loss, man. Come on, Chris. And I think looking forward, and you've made this point about Harden and it's just the Rockets, how much you trust him in the postseason. Chris is a very sore loser. I mean, we've seen that, but he's actually yeah. never lost on a big stage. This guy's never been to the Western Conference Finals. What happens when he takes a tough loss in the Western Conference Finals? How is he going to respond? Is that a guy who you can trust, you know, pressure bust pipes? Uh, if he's melting down in mid-January over this uh, I think that is an absolutely <laughs> legitimate question to ask about his role here in, in Houston's postseason run.
0: Yeah, man. Like the the Lou Williams quote was a pretty bad look. I enjoyed it because it was just so transparently petty. But uh, I don't know. Well, we'll come back to Chris. The the two things I really loved about that night were number one. Using Clint Capella as a decoy, and then like the, some of the follow-up reporting, where Clint Capella went and knocked on the Clippers' locker room, and they shut the door in his face, and then he just sort of like stood there in the hallway with no idea what to do. Uh, that his whole role, I would love like a separate, a separate investigative report on Clint Capella's thought process through that entire thing. Um, and then the thing I, I like Pat Beverly's tweet. About culture in L.A., I think he, I think his words were "no more soft shit in L.A." or something. That was amazing. I, that I feel like that should become the ra- rallying cry for this new Clippers team. And in general, I came away from uh, from Monday night with a lot more respect for the Clippers, and I'm a lot more excited to root for them down the stretch. I mean, shout out to Austin Rivers somehow managing to incite a like. Minor riot post game without ever setting foot on the floor. Uh, he has always had a special knack for pissing people off. But I do think that if we wanted to be serious about it at all, it is it is kind of a, a bad look for for CP3 to not only go in there and lose, but then kind of just act like a baby afterwards, and uh, and then like. Harden, I don't know why Harden and and Trevor Ariza and those guys are going into the Clippers locker room. Like the the Rockets should be worried about the Warriors, right? I don't understand why the Clippers were ever able to get underneath their skin like this.
1: Well, I think the fact that it was in L.A. kind of adds some context. Remember, these guys are L.A. guys. Harden is. Ariza yeah, is. That's you know, Chris point. was for a while. So I'm not totally sure they viewed it like the typical home locker room, away locker room dynamic. I, and I also think because these guys all know each other so well, uh, you know, half of them yeah. have been in <laughs> on the Rockets national... You know, you know, half of them have been in corny national TV commercials, too, like off the court, like these guys know each other. And I think that was part of it is they didn't view like they were going into like enemy territory. They were just going to go confront some people that they knew. The thing about what you said about the slogan for the Clippers uh, is so funny because their recent slogans have been pretty rough. It's like one of them was we are
0: one. <laughs> one of them was it takes everything. And then what did what did Beverly say? All right. So I looked it up. It said He said it's a different culture in L.A no more soft shit here with like five exclamation points that should be on t-shirts. Okay. For Clippers fans who lived through the last four years of lob city Clipper teams who let's be honest, they did have moments where they looked a little soft and it wasn't always their fault, but I feel like no more soft shit here is a great way to sort of cleanse everyone's palate and begin the new era.
1: Yeah, it's either that or we are one. Hmm. I wonder which one's going to sell better at, the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at exactly. the gates. Yeah, no, one other thing I'd say, though, and everyone's getting, you know, is this la- labyrinth of hallways in the back of Staples Center. I will attest, like, first of all, I walk around on my phone way too much. So, you know, I do tend to get lost in various places. Trader Joe's, you might find me back by, uh, you know, like the soy milk. And I just don't even know how I got there because I'm on my phone too much. But Staples Center is absolutely a place you can get lost if you're not paying attention. I've almost walked in on a chapel before, you know, like the pregame prayer. Uh, one time I took a wrong turn. I went into a Kobe Bryant press conference with like 200 reporters. I, yeah. I, that's where I was supposed to be, but the actual press conference wasn't located where I thought it was. Um, <laughs> getting in between the locker rooms is confusing. Uh, even the rooms for like the the cheerleaders, the dance teams or the referees. I mean, they're all just these random doors that are all right there. Uh, so it's quite the facility. But, uh, you know, if you really wanted to like, you know, map all of the movements, like the military (laughs) style movements that the Rockets made, it wouldn't be easy. I mean, we're talking like, you know, Gettysburg and and something like that from Civil War days.
0: It was great. It was what a night. It was one of those things that reminds you why the NBA is hilarious and addictive all year round. Um, Do you think they do you think the Clippers should retire Chris Paul's jersey? you care about that
1: well I think at this point they got to retire Blake first right Um, I mean I, I think as long as he plays it out so I just wouldn't be in a rush if I were them Uh, Ultimately, I think they should retire him. I actually have a Jersey retirement formula that I have uh, mentioned before. I need to run Chris through it, uh, but I would be shocked if he didn't, you know, surpass my threshold. And I think it's more symbolic of like who gets to be the first one to do it. And I think from that standpoint with Blake as being a number one pick, being there his whole career, uh, I would guess he's going to get that honor.
0: Okay. Well, as someone who's been first of all, it's not surprising at all that you have a jersey retirement formula on deck. Um, but as someone who's been a Chris Paul defender for like most of the last 5 or 6 years, I will say that like a lot of these little incidents add up and he definitely deserves a lot of the sort of side eye that he gets from various people around the league and um I don't know. I like I want him to have a, a happy ending, but he's making it pretty difficult to root for him. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. The one thing I will, like, the, the clearest takeaway from last night is that Rockets Clippers ha- has now rocketed up the rankings to, like, the number one playoff series we need in April. Um, I think the, ro- the, the Rockets are currently two, and the Clippers could definitely be seven. So let's all keep our fingers crossed for that one.
1: Andrew, that is a really, really good point. I got to do a U-turn. I mean, I think, you know, last week I was kind of dismissive and saying, well, you know, what's really the point? They're not going anywhere if they do make the playoffs. <laughs> now we have a point. <laughs> Look, I mean, even if they don't win that series, and I think Houston would win that series comfortably, to be honest, um, you know, it, it could even be a sweep if Harden's back. Uh, to me, Let's just get the popcorn going. You know why not? Exactly. You know I mean, in those first round series so often lack interesting storylines. Like this one, just completely set the table. Uh, that's it's going to be a little better than you know Houston, Utah, or Houston, Denver, or whatever else would pop out. You know.
0: Speaking of playoff series, it's time to move on to the other game on TNT Monday night: Cavs Warriors. Now you wanted to talk Cavs Warriors. You felt like we had an obligation to dig in to what was going on out there. I I don't know. Like I'm having trouble caring about these games at this point. So what did you see, and, and should we still care?
1: Well, I think that's a red flag off the top, because you've got good spider senses, Andrew. You know when there's <laughs> real conflict and drama and where things could get really interesting. And I think, unfortunately, between these two teams right now, we've got two pretty solid data points, Christmas and now MLK Day, which says the tension that we've come to expect, you know, the level of, you know, back and forth ferocity. uh, It doesn't seem like it's quite there. A couple quick takeaways from that game. First of all, I want to start with Kevin Durant uh, and let's not fall into the role player jokes and all that stuff. Uh, (laughs) This guy has been chasing LeBron for a long, long time. I have watched his head-to-head matchups against LeBron very carefully for years and years and years and years to the point where I'd say I probably studied them. This was, and I wouldn't even have said this by the last year's finals. This was the first game I can really remember where I felt like he was the driving force of the game rather than LeBron. I say that because number one, he's guarding LeBron a lot and he was causing lots of problems for LeBron with his length. I think LeBron had like seven turnovers in that contest. LeBron obviously still got his numbers, uh, but he was not in rhythm doing whatever he wanted. Kevin Durant was a huge part of that. Second, on the other end, you know, he's just toying with Crowder and he is the matchup nightmare that Cleveland really can't solve at this point. And, you know, even though Steph is playing at like a B level for Steph uh, in that contest, you know, still kind of working his way back and whatever, they have no answer for KD. Uh, He is causing all sorts of issues for them in terms of their team defense. And, You know, the other thing, too, is the impact of his length defensively uh, when he on other people besides LeBron and specifically Isaiah. I think you saw from Isaiah a tough night all around. I don't think we need to write off Isaiah as, you know, a complete weak link here, but he really struggled when Katie switched on to him. Uh, It was sort of like back to that Warriors Thunder Western Conference Finals from a few years ago where KD was able to hawk Steph a little bit on the perimeter and make life difficult for him, you know, trying to create good shots. Isaiah just gets swallowed up by that length, and so that takes away some of his stuff going to the basket when Golden State's really locked in. It it forces him to to settle for more difficult shots uh, and also to, to pound the ball a little bit more. So for all of those reasons, I thought, you know, KD had a really standout performance there. Now, I'm not saying he's passing LeBron overall, but it's getting close. And there was that one moment, Andrew, I don't know if you saw it, where he comes down in transition. LeBron's kind of waiting for him underneath the basket to play defense. Katie looks right at him, squares him up, and just throws down a thunderous dunk on top of him. LeBron doesn't even challenge it. He just kind of lets it go. And Katie lands. He is going to act like he normally would after a huge dunk like that, preening, yelling, screaming, and doing all the stuff the Warriors do because they're always doing nonsense, celebrating. But then he realized he had done it on LeBron. He kind of looked over at LeBron and he just respectfully ran back on defense. I just thought that was kind of symbolic. It's like he he's getting closer. He knows he's getting closer. He, he wants to show full respect to LeBron. Uh, but he's really making this a conversation and he's doing it consistently in their head-to-head matchups.
0: Yeah, it's it's tricky because, I mean, we've been over this before. I think Steph is more valuable to the Warriors and maybe just the better player overall between Steph and KD. And it's, it's, that's before you even add LeBron to the equation. But I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that with the specific Cavs-Warriors matchup, KD is by far the most unfair Piece on the chessboard, uh, offensively and defensively, because you yeah like that was the 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 length that you mentioned is what I noticed most last night watching Katie just sort of like he wouldn't even have to actually guard Isaiah to completely discombobulate him like he Katie would basically take two steps forward and be within range to block anything Isaiah wanted to put up and so basically. IT couldn't really do anything with him. And then the the length he bothered LeBron on Christmas, he did it again last night and he's he's constantly in the passing lanes and he's just so unfair. And the thing that like the the reason I say the matchup is beginning to feel a little boring is because the Warriors didn't play particularly well through the first half last night. And then and the Cavs did play well. And it, it was, it's like it didn't really matter because by the end, like the Cavs just looked sort of worn out and defeated. And I don't blame them because basically, once it got to be like crunch time, the Warriors just went back to that Steph and Katie pick and roll, like the second half of the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter. And there's nothing you can do with those guys. And, but, but like, you said it. When 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 Durant gets rolling, the Cavs just don't have an answer, and that's before Steph gets rolling. And I like. I don't know if anybody has has an answer for the Warriors, but it's becoming clearer that like I don't think this Cleveland team has the right pieces to do anything with them, and uh, that's kind of a bummer. Maybe we'll get to June and it will all be flipped. Maybe. Somebody on Golden State will get hurt, maybe. I, like Really, my takeaway from that game was Cleveland needs to make a move to make this interesting because if that, if that's the matchup in June, it's going to be another sort of gentleman's sweep, which is fine. Um, and like I think getting a game off the Warriors is more than any other team in the league can do, but, um, but it definitely doesn't feel like a rivalry anymore.
1: But that's not what LeBron signed up for, right? LeBron signed up for a chance to win, not a chance to to get one. Yeah, <laughs> and that's but, that's so, the issue.
0: I don't know if you can get more than one off this team. Like, I don't know if you could could be you can put together any roster. Like wherever LeBron goes this summer, I don't think that the answer is out there for the Warriors. I think like what we're watching is basically Shaq and Kobe. Of 2018, and it's like Steph and KD are are certainly two of the three best players. Might just be the two best players in the league, and they're on the same team, and it's just impossible to stop.
1: Well, let's not give up completely. I think you're right. First of all, short term, they need to make a move here at the deadline. I don't know what that looks like, but they've got to do something. They've got to shore up their interior defense. That's an issue. I mean, they're not going to be able to play love at the five and have success against the healthy warriors they got to have another option there they got to just be able to mix it up you know the other thing that it seemed like they might do is really revert back to like 2015 mode where when they were getting into those matchup games with the warriors who they were really just first figuring out how they could play small remember when Cleveland would like just completely ignore Iguodala because they would have really no choice and it'd be like hey you go ahead and try to beat us you know good luck and you know a couple of years ago he was able to do that I think they're going to find themselves in some similar situations in the finals if they don't make any, you know, bold major moves where it's like they just decide we have to completely load up on KD. We have to load up on Steph and we just basically have to ignore Iguodala, Jordan Bell, God forbid Looney's out there. But, you know, any of their guys who aren't like real scoring threats are just going to basically be... Uh, neglected potentially, I think that's going to be, you know, they're going to have to get pretty unorthodox in their defensive strategies because they just can't play them straight up right now. They're they're not disciplined enough. Um, and, you know, their talent is most, you know, offense first talent. And, you know, from that standpoint, there's a lot of guys who who need help. Um, one okay, final wait, thing wait. we should say. I have, yeah. I have
0: one final question for you, and it's from Brian. He says, I was thinking about how great Draymond Green is. I was also thinking about the fact that he is the type of player that regresses fast with age because he isn't super athletic. So if he loses a little jump in his step, his game could fall off a cliff. Do you think it's possible the Warriors let him walk or don't offer him more than three years because they see the writing on the wall? He's basically reached his peak and can only go down from here. What's your reaction to that? Because Draymond, right now... You're right. Iguodala is is the weak link if you're looking for one on the among like the Warriors top six or seven guys. But Draymond is the one kind of loose brick in the in the foundation that you could see sort of shaking loose over the next few years. But uh, at the same time, I mean, like I don't see that happening this year, but I do wonder about the future with with him in Golden State.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would say to kind of respond to Brian is that, you know, Draymond's under contract through 2020. Right. <laughs> so we got three more we got three more years of this before you're going to start to get to this question of like, oh, what's their their plan after Draymond. So if they win titles the next 3 years, is it going to matter if Draymond falls <laughs> off a cliff or is that a su- <laughs> yeah, fair, is that a successful <laughs> dynasty? That's the first point. My second point is this. I still think Draymond's underrated. We got a couple of Draymond hate emails uh, coming Dude, in and, and not to do sports. Draymond not hate
0: to, every week. It's kind of bullshit. Draymond, Draymond know, is amazing really, on defense.
1: It really is. It bothers me. But, uh, and spoiler alert, I had him as an all-star starter this year and we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, in a minute. But not only is he an incredible physical specimen like Brian pointed out, not only does he have this crazy motor and yes, those things are going to eventually, uh, you know, slow down. Draymond is also brilliant. From a basketball standpoint, he has one of the highest IQs uh, in terms of knowing the game, positioning, strategy, matchups, tendencies, all that stuff. He's a scout on the floor. He's not, I mean, you could argue he's a coach on the floor too, but he is also a scout on the floor. And so some of those things are going to slip, but we're seeing it Mm -hmm. with with Iguodala. You could say a lot of those same compliments I just said about Draymond apply to Iguodala too. And that's part of the reason why he's been able to kind of milk, uh, you know, very productive minutes, you know, know, well after his 30th birthday. I think the Draymond uh, downward trajectory, you know, barring any major injury is actually going to be more gradual than a lot of people think. He might not be a defensive player of the year candidate in three years, but he's still going to be really good. Uh, And again, how gritty are you going to get, you know? I mean, if these guys have, you know, four or five titles together, uh, by the point that his next contract is up, I mean, that's a home run. And, uh, and so I think we're, we're putting the, the cart in front of the horse when we're starting to panic about Draymond.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, is looking for any sign of weakness with the warriors or any sign of any reason for hope for the rest of the league. But I, I, I think you might be underestimating some of the potential downside with him in part because like you you compare him to Iguodala I think Draymond is a lot more radioactive than Iguodala who's who's one of the more steady teammates like in the league and uh like I could see things going sideways with Draymond for a variety of reasons and then the other thing is just physically he's playing a position that puts a ton of wear and tear on his body and like I think that's one thing that we forget a lot of times when we say teams need to go small, teams should just, everybody should be starting a 6'8 center. But, like, you can't really do that in part because matching up with guys who are three or four inches taller and weigh 50 more pounds, like, that puts a lot of strain on guys' bodies. And um, so I think, I, I'm, it's not to say that I'm like, Super worried about Draymond, but I do think the question is uh, pretty reasonable and and I do and well, more than anything, news, I'm interested in what the worry. I could absolutely see Bob Myers and Lacob and those guys trying to sort of anticipate a decline and and head it off like a year or two early. So I know that he's under contract through 2020, but um, you know this could go a lot of different directions with with either Draymond or Clay.
1: Okay, well, first of all, I will bet you he plays out his entire contract in Golden State right now. that's a fair bet. I'm not not betting against it. You still owe me 50 bucks for Carl Towns MVP from last year, (laughs) so we can just put that money in the pot, double or nothing. Now, here's what I would say. You have a very fair point in terms of his personality and the combustibility factor, because when players you know, drag out of that elite level. And now all of a sudden they're just a second tier type guy or a third tier right. type guy that, that can cause screwy things in the locker room. Carmelo Anthony, I would actually say is a pretty good example of that totally different player uh, from Draymond. But when you go through that is process, it's kind of like
0: the ultimate outlier. If you're, if you look across the league, I mean, he, he was like an all-star level guy who adjusted seamlessly to his role as this fifth starter or sixth man who just sort of does all the little things. And Draymond does a lot of those little things and and already. So that's sort of how he's become a star, but uh, it's just uh, his ego is is not going to go away and his skills Mm -hmm. may decline.
1: Okay. So here's my contention though. Remember he's already learned how to sacrifice his shots. He's already learned how to trust the pass. He's already been minutes managed his entire career. This guy's never even averaged 35 minutes a game. Yeah. By the way, he's only 27, you know? So we might think of Draymond as being 30, but Iguodala right now is 33. Draymond's 27. That six-year gap, you know, to me, like Draymond might not be as good at 33 as Iguodala is right now at 33, but Draymond's going to be very, very good here for the next three to four years, even if he does start to slip in certain areas. And um, if any of the trends in terms of how the game was being played were sort of going back against him, you know? I would be a little bit more concerned, like if everybody was loading up on these huge, powerful fives, and he's logging 36 minutes a night as a totally overmatched center, I would start to worry. But everybody's playing like him, you know. He's the one who's like on the front of the wave, so uh, the the Draymond concern stuff uh, it doesn't quite get to me. I think more pressing for them, Iguodala is definitely going to be an issue. You know, can he step back up uh, in the postseason? And then what are they going to do with those minutes with the bigs? You know, I think. Those guys all make me, you know, in that head to head matchup with Cleveland, they all kind of stick out a little bit. And obviously so, because their teammates are so talented, but they don't have that great fifth player, uh, you know, whether it's Bell or or Looney or whoever. Uh, You know, anytime those guys were in the court, uh, they're just, you know, they're lagging a little bit and they're throwing things off a little bit from how Golden State has been when they play their peak level, Uh, you know, if we go back to last year during the playoffs or, or other times.
0: Yeah. Well, Uh, after talking this through with you, I'm now convinced that the Warriors are going to win the next four titles. So, um, but I think it's, it's reasonable to ask the question. It's pretty much the only thing you can talk about with the Warriors right now. Um, And it is good to see Steph back healthy because it's just a lot more fun to watch those games, but we need to talk about all-star starters. We both had to file our votes over the weekend. And, uh, but first Let's talk about mattresses. We've got an ad with a historic amount of puns in here. So uh, let's dig into it.
1: Hey, Andrew, let's keep the basketball rolling, shall we? It's time to talk about Mattress Firm. Look, our argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store, Mattress Firm. It's a true slam dunk and you'll have a ball.
0: They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3 and D wing. Go to mattress.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you.
1: They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today tonight and tomorrow. Mattressfirm.com slash podcast Andrew. That sounds so nice, doesn't it?
0: It sounds great. Great read from you. Great puns from them. MattressFirm slash podcast. All right, let's get back into it. So Ben, we had to do our, we had to make our all-star picks over the weekend. Let's start in the East. Who do you have First of all, let's start by saying this was trickier than I thought it would be. Um, there were a number really? of sort of gnarly questions that could go a couple different directions. We, who do you have as your starting backcourt in the East? Kyrie Irving,
1: Boston Celtics. Okay. Victor Oladipo, Indiana oh, Pacers. Oh, come on.
0: Are you serious, man? I'm serious. Why not? All right. So I think... I don't want to give you too much shit about the DeRozan saga. However, it's getting harder and harder to deny that he has been just excellent in almost every facet this year. And, you know, I, we're going to come back to this at some point. He's he's being discussed as an MVP candidate around the league now. He's getting some dark horse love. I don't think that you can put Oladipo above him.
1: You definitely can. And look, it was close. Uh, there's three really good candidates. Uh, you named the three. Uh, guys like John Wall from Washington, very, very disappointing. You know, Bradley Beal from Washington, you know, not <laughs> not, not ready yet. Uh, you go down the list. I think this is actually a case where if we had just no positions, I think there's a really strong shot I would have had DeRozan as my starter. Okay. Um, th- the reason why I went... Oladipo, it's very similar to the arguments that I've been using for guys like Jimmy Butler in the past. His impact on off is just been unbelievable. You look at where Indiana is in the standings compared to where they would be without him. He is the motor. He's the reason why they're, you know, not well above 500, but comfortably above 500. And in the playoff picture, if you look at his on off swing, they're basically minus seven net rating when he's off the court plus 7.4 when he's on that type of swing is like a Steph Curry style swing. And the important thing to me is he makes them significantly better on both offense and defense. His raw stats are very comparable to both Kyrie and DeMar. uh, But impact wise, in terms of driving their success, what they're trying to do as a team, the leadership factor obviously is there for him as well. He has a really, really strong case. And I don't you know, I would have felt bad snubbing him based on mm-hmm. how important he has been to their success uh, and to their story and, and everything else, uh, you know, based on this sample size. Uh, you know, again, if we had room for three guards and we didn't have to worry about three front court guys, I probably would have taken all three guards. I could only take two. Uh, I rewarded Kyrie over DeRozan because uh, his team has been better. They have very similar stats. Uh, and impact numbers-wise, you know, the, the weak link is DeRozan's defense. I mean, that's been the case for multiple years. I think Kyrie is just as important to you know Boston's offensive framework uh, as DeRozan uh, is in Toronto. Uh, and so that's how I made my pick. I think it's fair. And I don't think you can accuse me of hating or anything else like that. That's just pure logic. I don't know what to say.
0: That's that's fair and I'm not I'm not here to accuse you or put you on trial. I will say that I think that the idea of perimeter defense swinging anything is probably uh, not a good one because i just think you know Kyrie's not really playing defense either it doesn't matter the Celtics i uh, have the best record in the east and the Raptors have the second best record in the east because DeRozan's defense isn't really that that important either and you can build really good teams with high volume scorers on the perimeter who don't guard on the other end and so to me i just think there there are positions where defense is super important and we'll get to those but uh, I wouldn't. I think it misses the point to focus on it too much in the backcourt. But I respect you for staying true to your principles. Number one and number two, I Victor Oladipo has had an unbelievable year. So I, it's not to hate on him, and it actually would be kind of cool to see him in the All Star game. I think. I think what it came down to for me is I don't love Oladipo or DeRozan, um, but I think. DeRozan is playing closer to what he really is, whereas I'm still a little skeptical of Oladipo. Maybe that's unfair. I just don't think the Pacers are really that good, and I don't think that Oladipo is really that good. So that was ultimately the deciding factor for me.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, setting the benchmarks is always a trick. I mean, the way I do it is I go from the start of the regular season to when I have to cast the vote, and that's the only time period that I really consider uh, that made it really hard this year because we had a whole bunch of really good players who missed a lot of time. And usually, my whole maxim, you know, the the greatest ability is availability, will screw me up. When we're talking about all star guys like Steph Curry who misses a bunch of time, and uh, you know, or even a guy like Joel Embiid who missed a bunch of time, uh, it gets tricky to kind of weigh those things when you take such a tight view, uh, you know, on these players. I just thought in this case, I mean. Toronto, there's a lot of reasons why they're winning. You know, Lowry hasn't been as great as previous seasons, but their bench has been awesome. Their depth has been awesome. Their whole new offensive approach has been awesome. And DeRozan has been awesome, too. When I look at Indiana, you're right. It may not last as long, uh, you know, all season long or into next year or whatever, but there's basically one reason why yeah, they're winning. That's fair. It, it, Oladipo. And if, look, if they were the nine seed, I would have had a much harder time making this case. And I tend to favor players who are on the higher uh, seeded teams. Uh, You know, when I'm looking at tiebreakers like record and team success goes a long way. But when I look at Oladipo, I mean, he makes their defense when they play with him, it's almost 10 points better. It's almost flipped for DeRozan, where, you know, their bench units uh, play defense almost 10 points better than when DeRozan's on the court. They hide DeRozan on all the big matchups. Uh, you know from that standpoint it's that, that's what you know kind of came down to for me uh, but it's tricky and I, I think some voters probably do define things differently I've actually said we should go back and look at everything after last year's all-star break plus everything into this season when we're making these kinds of determinations to smooth out some of the sample size stuff that you're talking about because if we did that, Obviously, Oladipo is not going to be in the conversation, right? Because of what he did in Oklahoma City last year. Uh, You know, it would take all the voters to adopt that philosophy for it to really work. You know, it wouldn't work if only half the people did it. Uh, Uh But I actually think it would make for better, more representative All-Star starting lineups. But I also realize that nobody besides me cares probably (laughs) that that much. Good,
0: good. (laughs) At least you realize that. All right. So hit me with your front court because two of these... All right, Giannis and LeBron were the two easiest choices in either conference for me. Uh, but the third one, we had to pick a center or, or a third forward, and that one was really tough. So who was your third forward in the East?
1: Uh, I went for Embiid. Uh, my short okay. list was basically nice. him h- him versus Horford. And again, you know, if we could have picked DeRozan, I think there's a case you could make where you just take that third wing yeah, over one of these the bigs. But, uh, you know, in terms of Embiid, uh, like I said, I usually value, uh, you know, quantity of minutes more than most people do. Like, I, I try to keep a pretty high standard th- uh, there this year. I think in two cases, him and Steph, the quality of their minutes was so uh, exceedingly high uh, compared to what we normally see. Their impact, again, on, on both their teams' offensive and defense was so big uh, during this opening period that I just basically couldn't ignore it. You know, I I would have felt bad if Embiid uh, was not one of the the top five guys, given how well he's uh, played individually, but then also how well he's carried guys from Ben Simmons on down on that roster. So um, I agonized over that one a little bit. Uh, You know, Boston, certainly you can make a case they deserve two starters, given how well they've played this season, how consistent they've been, and how important defense has been for their success. And Horford's right in the middle of that. Uh, but to me, again, you take Embiid off the Sixers, they they are one of the very worst teams in the league, and they should absolutely be a playoff team uh, if he continues to play as much as he has so far.
0: I love it. I love it, man. So we didn't, uh, we didn't reveal each other's choices before coming on the podcast, and I was prepared to have an all-out war with you over Embiid versus Horford, uh, because I do think it's pretty much a toss-up, and... If it were, if we were choosing all NBA teams, I would probably go with Horford based on how successful the Celtics have been and how important he's been for the past two and a half months. But I think in an all star setting, tiebreaker goes to the guy who is just as effective and will be a million times more fun as an all star starter. So Embiid was my choice as well because, and like, it's not just that he's, like, a, a viral sensation or something. Like, we've been over this before. He's so important to literally everything the Sixers do. And if you take him off that team, like, they're just not a very good team and would be one of the one of the worst teams in the East. Um, but he is just dominating. I think he had, what, like, 34 and 10 uh, on the Raptors a, a couple days ago. Like, he's he has kept it going, and they're, like... There have been some growing pains where he's been kind of sloppy and all over the place. He does still doesn't look like his body is totally in shape, um, and has he's looked kind of worn out some of the time. But I still think like if you're if you're looking for the most talented big man in the East, it's got to be Embiid.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I don't care at all about personality. You know, that's, that's not... <laughs> that it's not did not factor that's a, into your
0: decision. Fine, not, <laughs> fair not enough. A, not,
1: not factoring into what I'm doing at all, but I think... Uh your point about, you know, he was an all NBA versus all-star voting. I mean, that's where the consistency factor of Al Horford and, you know, play in, play out, night in, night out. Yeah. And he's had amazing two-way impact too. That's definitely going to get him a you know a leg up over and beat uh who has missed some time. But you know, we're here at the midway point of the season. He's already played as many games as he played all of last year. Um when he's on the court, uh, he's been central to their wins and he poses so many problems for everybody. I'd say he poses more problems. Uh, than Horford. And, you know, it's not really that close. So uh, it was, uh, I I would say that probably the the second toughest debate of all of them uh, between those guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do think it was, you know, a good reason why they should just get rid of the positions and and open this thing up. I mean, the the more we go this direction, the more we shouldn't have to think about, you know, wings or guards or anything else like that.
0: Yeah. It's an interchangeable world, you know, Um, step into the future NBA. So give me your five West starters.
1: So for the guards, I went uh, Harden and Curry. Uh, it was okay. tricky for both of them because, you know, both injured. But I thought the gap between them and everybody else in terms of quality of minutes, again, was was pretty wide. I mean, Steph has been completely... Like, his on-court offensive efficiency numbers this year, it's like 120. I've never seen that. You know, I didn't even know the calculator went that high. I, <laughs> consistently, when he's on the court, their offense just smokes everyone. Um, and he's what, you know, the, st- uh, the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, in terms of Harden you've heard me gush about him before i mean i, I don't have to go through that again I, I thought before his injury he was the mvp he hasn't missed enough time since the injury uh to to knock him you know out of this conversation you know guys like Westbrook or or Lillard or whoever else you might have in this in this mix well, to me the know, gap man. between those guys is pretty high
0: i agonized over Jimmy Butler uh, with that second backcourt spot and i didn't know you know Steph has Steph has been like a B plus for him, um, and an A for any other player, and so I think he's got to be in whoa, there. Whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa! I think he's been an A minus for him and an A plus for any other player, and I'm sorry to correct you and be more positive, pro <laughs> Steph. I know that's pretty unusual. I don't know. But look, he, look, when he's on the court, month his numbers was pretty
0: uneven, though. That's, I, I'm yeah, not but... saying like he, he the gravity is still there. He's still super valuable, but like he wasn't shooting very well for the first six weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, but only by his own standards, Andrew. Come on. I mean, this guy's, you know, basically, you know, threatening uh, you know, another, you know, 50-40-90 season. He's basically there. His scoring number is in between his two MVP campaigns. He's not quite as good as the unanimous MVP year, but he's still right there. You look across the board in terms of points, rebounds, assists, 27, five, six. I mean, these are ridiculous numbers on a 50, 40, 90 season. I mean, and I, I'm sure he's right near the top in terms of real plus minus and, and the advanced stats too. Let's not dog stuff out. And look, I like Jimmy and I'm going to repeat the same argument that I said earlier about DeRozan. Uh, again, I would have, t- I would have put Jimmy in the front court this year, or if there wasn't yeah. any positional designations, I would have included him too over whoever the third best big was. Uh, but I thought it was, was pretty clear cut Curry and, and Harden.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to become the target of some Rockets fan online bullying uh, problem, so I decided to cast my vote for Harden. Uh, And because he is, when he was healthy, he was just, like, out of this world. But I think it strikes me as odd that Jimmy Butler has clearly been one of the five most valuable players in the entire league, and he can't start the All-Star game. But I guess that's just sort of a testament to how great Steph and Harden are. Um, and then- No, the f- he's
1: he's the biggest snub. There's no question. But that tends to happen in this West backcourt. Yeah, I mean, that's true. The West backcourt is a freaking gauntlet year in and year out. And I don't understand, especially in Butler's case, where he swings up to guard fours. You know, like, why is this guy not in that small four designation? I, I don't understand who made that call to force him in the guard the guard category. But what can you do?
0: All right, so front court, who'd you have? I had uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, Anthony Davis, and Kevin Durant.
1: I got worried there that you forgot KD, and we were going to have a real problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I had KD, uh, Anthony Davis, and then the third one, instead of Aldridge, I went Draymond.
0: Really? So Draymond, look, we've we've been over this (laughs) 15 minutes ago. Trayvon's very good I don't know if he's been I mean he's been kind of all over the place offensively to start the year and like it it won't be a problem for the Warriors but I do think that it's a little bit of a stretch to say that he belongs as a starter in the all-star game
1: well part of it was I didn't necessarily love any of the other candidates I mean the idea of you know Davis and Cousins both starting for a yeah. New Orleans team i couldn't do that i mean i, I, I neither, don't always care about I. that i could
0: not i could not clear the hurdle with putting like i i guess the pelicans are 500 right now but and i understand that analytics wise boogie grades out as a as an all-star starter and as one of the 5 or 6 or 7 best players in the league thus far but I just couldn't bring myself to do it and if I had to choose between the two of them like I still think Anthony Davis is clearly the better player and the numbers bear that out the on-off stats so I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it and LaMarcus though I think you gotta give someone on the Spurs some love and LaMarcus has been unreal thus far
1: Yeah, it was tricky because at first I had that Davis versus Cousins debate, right? And then I had the, well, can I put Towns on as a starter because he's a frontcourt player just to recognize what Minnesota's done? But then at the same time, I'm leaving Butler off. That doesn't make any sense. Butler has been their best player, so I can't really put Towns in there, can I? So then I got into this like convoluted thing. Okay, well, Aldridge you know, part of my thing with Aldridge, it's similar to the DeRozan argument I was making earlier, which is there's a lot of reasons why San Antonio has been winning basketball games. And Aldridge is definitely one of them, but he's had a lot of help, systemic help, coaching help, uh, team defense help. And, you know, I don't think this was a case where he just like completely put the team on his back and all of a sudden he's like right back up to being peak LaMarcus. I think he's been good, but I've, I've seen, you know, Aldridge, you know, play at higher levels and you know, frankly, who do I think contributes more to winning and drives more wins, uh, whether it's this season or in previous seasons, Draymond, you know, I think if you were putting them in a draft, I would take Draymond, I wouldn't think twice, I think, you know, the advanced stats bear Draymond out as one of, you know, the best defensive players, if not the most impactful defensive player in the league, you look at both Steph and KD missing time, and we kind of talked uh, previously about how different they look when either one of those guys is off the court. Well, if they miss either one of those guys and Draymond, they would look very, very, very average very quickly. Uh, And that's from someone who has like the highest respect in the world for Golden State. So, Uh, I think, you know, partly when I was going through these tiebreaker scenarios, I don't think it's ever wrong to reward the best team. In this case, it's golden state. It is a little bit weird that they have three starters out of five, but ultimately Aldridge is going to make my team. There's no question. Towns is going to make my team. I believe, uh, you know, cousins, I believe is going to make my team as well. There's spots for them. Um, you know, in terms of golden state, you know, right now they're not just a team. They're an ideal this is who everyone's trying yeah. to be like, well, and Draymond is a say, huge part of that.
0: So if you're if you're choosing the starters based on first half production, I, I think it's a stretch to put Draymond in there, but it is appropriate to give Golden State three out of five starters in general in a vacuum, just because that's that's a perfect reflection of how stacked they really are and how unfair they really are. And I think if if you were going based purely on talent and and what they can do like there's no question you take Draymond over over LaMarcus Aldridge even the version of LaMarcus Aldridge that we've seen in the past two and a half months and uh I think I probably chose LaMarcus because I was feeling guilty I, I was emotionally hungover after choosing Embiid over Horford because I felt I don't know I I thought that you were gonna go Horford on that one and uh and I was going to have to explain myself, so I went with a boring pick to placate you. But I, uh, I appreciate that you, you sort of like kept it, kept it real the entire time. We're not going to put any sort of B plus player in the All Star game.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you need to just make your own picks and get out of your own head because you're worried what I'm going to say, what I'm going to say. I didn't think about your picks once when I was making my picks. I I just made the right picks. And let me, can I say one thing about Draymond? Uh You're talking about his production. Okay, maybe it's not that impressive. He's a different type of guy. Okay, his stats are weird. He averages 11, 7, 7, a block and a steal. Like that combination hardly ever happens. In fact, if you go back through NBA history, I'm looking at it right now. The only guys that put up those kinds of uh those, that kind of balanced stat line, you know, offensive and defense, it's LeBron and Draymond. That's it. You know, because you have to factor in that 7 assists per game, then you should not overlook that cuz he's an unbelievable playmaker he's getting points for his team in different ways. It's not that pound pound or beat somebody on the block uh, like it might be for Aldridge. It's not the step out and shoot that corner three all smooth like Carl Anthony Towns now has been able to do it. It's not the barrel down the pain and draw fouls in the way that DeMarcus Cousins do, uh, does it. This guy is a surgeon. He generates so much offense with his passing and with his leadership uh, that he does not get credit for, I still believe, from the average fan. So, you know, if you want to accuse me of anything here, uh, it's sort of like a protest vote. You know, I still think this guy's being overlooked for what he does. And this is my one little way of, of, of telling the world, Hey guys, like Draymond is really, really, really good at basketball.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. You really are keeping it real here. And, uh, I respect it. I mean, there's no way Draymond either is going to be an all-star starter or should be based on the last two and a half months, but he is definitely like if, if, we're using this rubric. He is one of the five best in the in the West. Um, but I think we both agree that in a perfect world, it would be Kyrie, Oladipo, DeRozan, Giannis, LeBron, and then Steph, Harden, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, Durant. um And unfortunately, no, I would, I would, the voting. I would prefer that. For-
1: I prefer that for the West. I would be a little hesitant on the East. I'd really want to <laughs> dig into that one, just because. Come MB, on, man! I mean, Throw we, the
0: termites of bone.
1: Nah, you can do that. You've been all doing right. that all the last week.
0: All right. But yes. Word. Well, the big picture
1: takeaway is fix the ballot.
0: Yes. Okay. Good. And uh, and also, we both still have votes. When I was I was a little nervous that one of us was only gonna only one of us was gonna have a vote. And then I, I was going to get left out in the cold or you were going to get left out in the cold. It was going to be very uncomfortable on the podcast, but that didn't happen. And uh, let's, let's save some of these questions for Friday's episode. How about that? Because we've gone long. We talked t- too long about the Clippers too long about Cavs warriors, but we do have a, a f- great group of questions. We're going to talk Dame and Dame Lillard in, in Portland uh fantasy basketball and more and uh yeah let's co- let's come back friday all
1: right that sounds good andrew that was a fun chat i mean we managed not to rip each other's heads off for once when we were debating these things that's good that's always nice um <laughs> until later this week i will talk to you but guys five star reviews on apple podcasts we need it open floor globe we got npr the monolith coming after our our corners we need to make sure you guys have our backs too uh check us out on apple podcasts Uh, A five-star review is openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com for all your questions, concerns, taunts, trash talk, theories, whatever else it might be. Uh, Andrew, until later this week, I'll talk to you.
0: All right, man, take it easy. Sharp is way better. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.